We're recording this tonight, so for those people who were wanting to come tonight, couldn't make it uh, because it's uh, the middle of the week, um, we welcome you by uh, the feed through YouTube and through Facebook. And we also want to put this out for any others that want to watch and be a part of the message tonight. We're going to be talking about proclaiming the mystery of Messiah, pro proclaiming the mystery of Christ. We're going to look at, you know, just understanding that mystery and how important it is in our faith. And one of the main reasons why I'm here uh, in the U.S. at this time is again to come to America to share the gospel of the kingdom from a Hebraic perspective so that we start to see through the eyes of, you know, what was really going on with, with this, the disciples and the apostles and how they walked. You know, it's quite interesting if you do a search on uh, your computer on the roots of the faith, we all know there's many things that we do within Christianity today that um, is really foreign to the believers in the Bible. And what we want to do is we want to address some of the key elements and what is the gospel and is the gospel of the kingdom being preached uh, in the Western culture that we have today. And I want to say, yes, the gospel is being preached to a part, but there's elements of the gospel that are missing. And many times when I speak, you know, I share at the beginning that I'm not a Catholic. I say, there's two things you need to know about me. Number one, I'm not a Catholic. And, you know, just like everyone's smiling right now, <laughs> Everyone's like, well, oh, that's great. I'm glad you're not a Catholic. You know, I don't think I could have put up with some Catholic, um, you know, <laughs> traditions here tonight. But also I say this, I'm not a Protestant because a Protestant is a Protestant Catholic. And I just said I'm not a Catholic, so I'm not a Protestant Catholic. So what am I? I'm a believer in Yeshua. I'm a believer in Messiah. And, you know, I really believe that what has been handed down to us through Catholicism and Protestant Christianity and all of the things that took place with Martin Luther, you know, back in the day in the 1500s, you know, they were all great things. And what was the number one thing that Martin Luther, how did he get the revelation? He read the word and he heard what religion was preaching and proclaiming. And he said this, these are all the things I have against you, and he nailed it to the church door. Maybe we should make a new list and go around all the churches nailing it to the door uh, of the things that we still have to deal with. And it's vitally important that we come back to the roots of our faith, because through Constantinian Catholicism, its focus was to remove us from the identity of who we are called to be. And today, all across the world, people are waking up to the roots of the faith. They're waking up to the revelation of of our identity. They're waking up to the true gospel of the kingdom. So in my attempt tonight, I'm going to read uh, from uh, the book of Ephesians, and we're just going to talk through some elements from that book. Uh, and you can look it up on your cell phones or uh, your Bibles as we go through that. And the reason why I want to go through this is if we're going to make a difference for the gospel of the kingdom, we truly need to know what that gospel is. And right now, like I said, People are waking up to the whole counsel of the word all over the world, and it's not because people are preaching to them. You know, some people are, uh, a friend of mine up in uh, uh, Canada, she was just lying in bed reading her Bible on a Saturday morning, and the Holy Spirit said to her, this is my Sabbath. 
<laughs> you know, remember it, take heed, this is my Sabbath. And she thought, what? You know, she's a Pentecostal, she's going to church on Sunday. Then the Holy Spirit said, this is my Sabbath. And, and, and pay attention to this. So she went back to the scripture and started to study the word from that basis. And it supernaturally changed her life. Now, you might be thinking, where are we going with this? Well, all we want to do is get back to the roots of the message, of the truth of what the word preaches. And, you know, some people have different opinions concerning, you know, when is the Sabbath for a believer? Should it be on, on uh, Shabbat? You know, Sheva 7, the seventh day, you know, we say to our dog, Shev, or, or to people to sit. It means to sit. It means to rest from our work. It's the day we are called to rest. Now, you know, did Constantine have the right to change the fourth commandment in the scripture. And what we love about the commandments is the first four commandments are how we relate to Yehovah, how we relate to God. The next six commandments are how we relate to each other. And uh, <laughs> just wait a second, we've got a few people coming here. That's fine. We're just going to flow live here as we uh, go on. Come on in, come and join us. <laughs> it's all right, come on in. Good to see you guys, how you doing? <laughs> we're on live right now, so that's why we're... Uh, it's all right, no, you're fine. You're fine, come in and grab a seat. <clears throat> that's all right, no problem. Okay, so... What we're talking about is we're talking about some of the key elements of how we are taking back uh, what the early believers walked in. And how many times have we gone to the scripture and say, I hear what people do today, but how did the early apostles live? You know, after Yeshua's resurrection, what did that look like? And, you know, how important is it that we keep the commandments? And we just talked about the first four commandments being how we relate to God the Father, and the, the six commandments, uh, you know, from five to ten are about how we relate to each other. So if Constantine changes the fourth commandment, you know, here's the problem. You know, are we happy with do not murder? Are we happy with do not steal? Are we happy with love the Lord thy God and serve him only? All these different commandments. So how is it, you know, just because Catholicism baptizes <laughs> the Sunday to say, we're just going to baptize this and this is going to be our Sabbath and you know, I love talking to different ministry leaders as we talk about uh, why do we meet on Sunday? And they're like, oh, brother, you know, it's okay. It's resurrection day. It's the day Yeshua rose from the dead. And this is why we do it. But these are not reasons for why we disobey the scripture. Because when it comes to the fourth commandment, it says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And these were things that started to impact me. But it wasn't the key that brought uh, a huge, you know, the huge change to my life and my understanding that I'm going to share on tonight, but uh, it was definitely part of it. But as I have interviewed people around the world, what they're telling me is, you know, that they are coming back to the roots of the faith all over the world, and it's not because people have been preaching to them. And yes, there are people and many people who are preaching the true gospel of the kingdom today. And the one thing and the reason why I'm here in America today is to talk about you know, uh, you know, that the Father is taking us back. You know, many uh, 
leaders and believers are in that place. Is this it? Do we do stand up, sit down, go through the motions, go through the program, and this is what church looks like? Well, is that what we see within Scripture? So anyway, we're going to press into Scripture. We're going to be talking about proclaiming the mystery of Christ, proclaiming the mystery of Messiah. And uh, I'm going to open up a few Scriptures on that from the book of Ephesians, and it's going to be uh, really awesome as we go through this. But I tell you what, before I do it, I'm going to share with you just a couple of pointers, and some of this I shared uh, on Sunday at the, at the, Bible, uh, at the Bible class uh, on Sunday morning, but I want to share this just for the foundation. You know, first we start in the book of Genesis, we're in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, everything is good, they have that right relationship with God, they walk in the garden with who? Yeshua. Do we all believe that uh, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with Yeshua? Because we know so many portions of Scripture scripture uh, within the Torah and within the Old Testament, we see who Messiah is. We see who he is. We know when you're coming out of Egypt, it says Messiah is the rock. The water came forth from him. Who was it appeared to Abraham dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah? It was the angel of the Lord, Messiah. Who was it appeared to Gideon? The angel of the Lord, Messiah. Um, you know, as we start going through uh, who wrestled with Jacob and knocked his hip out and changed his name to Israel. It was the Messiah. So if we all agree on that, we agree that according to Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, when Yeshua, after the resurrection, he's walking down that road and the two disciples walking away in doubt and unbelief, he shares with them, when he opens their eyes, he reveals who he is within the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms. You know, just think about that for a second. You know, that is the message that should have been recorded, but we say that. But in reality, is that the message that we see within the New Testament today? I believe it is the message we see because many references we see in the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation is the revealing of the Messiah. And when the Messiah is revealed, it's going back to confirm the Word of God that we see within what we call the Old Testament or the Tanakh. And it's very important that we have those things laid down at the beginning so that we understand uh, as we open up these scriptures from the book of Ephesians. If we don't have those things established, we're not going to see that connect. Now, there's another important factor that we need to consider before we read into the book of Ephesians. We have to consider that, you know, that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is one book. And the message has to go through of the Messiah from the beginning of the book all the way to the end of the book. So who is Yeshua in the Garden of Eden? He is the tree of life. And when they were expelled from the garden, they had no longer that fellowship and connection with the tree of life. What does the tree of life bring us? You know, you eat the fruit of the tree of life, you have eternal life. And this is what we receive when we receive Yeshua and we're born again of the Spirit. We receive eternal life. Hallelujah. So it's not just about us living in the here and now. It's about us walking through this life identifying with the Messiah, having him dwell within us, being saved from our sin, from our brokenness, and walking into the newness of Yahovah. We are what? A new creation. 
The old has gone, and I love that word, behold, all things are new. Now, this is the reason why our ministry is bulldozer faith. It's not that we want to attack people with bulldozers with our faith. It is to say, if you come to faith in Yeshua, you must bulldoze your past life. You can't build your walk in Yeshua on your past life. So you don't get Yeshua and throw him in your backpack and say, okay, I'm born again. Okay, Yeshua, you can be in my backpack, and I'm just going to keep trucking with my life the way I want to live my life, and you're in my backpack. And, you know, that's not how we're called to live. We're called to have him dwelling within our hearts. And the more time we spend in the presence of Yehovah, in the presence of God, his name is yud heh vav and some call him Yahweh, some Yehovah. And, um, the more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. And this is the whole point we see in John chapter 14 to John chapter 16. We see uh, us becoming like him. And what does Yeshua say? He says that you will ask in my name. And you can, you can take notes and go back and spend as much time as you can in John 14, 15, and 16. They are, uh, you know, it's the survival kit of the believer. You know, Yeshua is getting ready to pay the ultimate price for us. And during those three chapters, he's dealing with his disciples. And he's saying, these are the points you need to remember. This is what you need to take to heart before I go to the cross. You need to understand these points. And, you know, do not be afraid. I'm going away. And they're all like, what? Freaking out. What do you mean you're going away? And what was the very question they asked him in the midst of all of this? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except for me. And then what did they say? Ah, oh, that's great, Yeshua. Just show us the Father. And he's like, oh, how long must I tally amongst you? You know, when he's dealing with the Pharisees and, you know, we have those seven woes. You know, woe to you, teachers of the law that we see in the book of Matthew. Woe to you. <laughs> and he, he's rebuking them. Why is he rebuking them? He's saying, I'm getting ready to pay the ultimate price. You spirit of religion, you uh, workers of enomia, you without my law. My yoke is easy. My burden is, is right, light. But what you are giving to the people is a heavy burden upon the people. And he's saying, woe to you, woe to you. But when he comes to his disciples, he's saying, I want to open up to you what's going to happen. The Father will send in my name the Holy Spirit. He will be your counselor, your teacher. He will remind you of everything I have said. He will show you what is to come. These are vitally important things that we understand. And, you know, we see within that portion of Scripture, Yeshua says, I and the Father are one. We are one. So the instructions of Yeshua is the same as the instructions of the Father. There is no difference. It is one story. And the reason we're going to press into uh, elements of Ephesians is that here's the reality today. There's two stories. There's two Gospels. And, and maybe, that, in fact, there's not two Gospels. There's many Gospels. And it says that in the Bible, doesn't it? Don't listen to people when they come and preach a foreign Gospel, another Gospel. And, you know, I really believe that the, through the generations, the eyes of the believers have been blinded to what that true Gospel is in its fullness. And when we open it up, 
it becomes so joyful because it's not just, oh, I got this revelation, I had this dream, this angel appeared to me and he came down and he, he gave me, you know, new, new garments. You know, we're not talking about stuff like that. We're talking about going to the scripture and seeing the revelation of the Holy Spirit come alive. And as we deal with the mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians, it is so radical. And what does it mean by a mystery? It means this was not revealed to the people in the Torah, in the Old Testament. They couldn't see what we're about to talk about today. And I want us to capture the importance of what I'm saying, because even in Christianity today, we have remained separated from who we truly are. And, you know, those uh, who have, have followed Yeshua who are Jewish, they have also remained separated. So we see Jew and Gentile, and we talk about how they come together, and we're going to talk about what is one new man, what does it mean from a scriptural perspective, uh, so that we can really get that understanding. And then we're going to talk about what is this mystery that was revealed that Paul said, I received by revelation. How important is that mystery, and how does that apply to our lives today? And this is my experience. When I share this mystery, I see lots of hindrances in people's hearts concerning the accountability to the mystery being revealed. But let me tell you something. As believers in Yeshua, we should never be afraid of obedience before God. You know, Yeshua, he is uh, the stumbling block. Uh, you know, and, and what is he the stumbling block to? He's the stumbling block to, uh, to the Jew. He's the stumbling block to anyone who's in the place of disobedience. You either uh, obey and submit to Messiah or he will become a stumbling block for you to receive the revelation and the mercy. And what do we say to people when we're sharing faith in Yeshua? We say this, you cannot understand the Bible until you receive Yeshua as your Messiah, because you need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. How many times have you shared a Bible verse with a not yet saved individual? They're like, I don't understand what you're saying. I can't comprehend what you're saying. So we look at simplistic ways to break things down, to say you need to enter in to the knowledge of Messiah. It is by faith through grace that you are saved. Hallelujah. And you've got to take that step. And you're empowered to take that step by the Spirit. And when you take that step, all the things that I'm sharing with you, or the non-believer that you're sharing with, your eyes will be open and you will be able to receive. And these are vitally important. So as I share from this portion of Scripture, I want you to catch the revelation. Number one, the Torah and the Tanakh is about Yeshua. The Psalms is about Yeshua. And take a note of this chapter. I'm not going to read it, but I want you to take a note of it. Psalm 22. That's part of the homework. You go and read Psalm 22. And what is it all about? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Yeshua said that statement on the cross, he wasn't in a place of distress thinking, what can I say? He was proclaiming the, the Psalm of David. And when he proclaimed that Psalm, that would have been like me saying today, we all live in a, and then shutting up. And then we know that everyone's going to pick up the words of a famous song. At the time of Yeshua, Psalm 22 was a famous Psalm. 
because the Israel was in bondage. Uh, the Jews were in bondage to the Romans. They're saying, Messiah, come. Where is the Messiah? Deliver us. And they were always proclaiming for the Messiah to come. In Psalm 22, you're going to see the dividing, the casting of lots for his garments. You're going to see the picture of the crucifixion of Messiah right there in Psalm 22. And I use this scripture when I'm sharing with the religious Jews. Also, of course, Isaiah chapter 53, the forbidden chapter that they're not allowed to read within their Torah portions. You know, they just keep some of these scriptures out. But anyway, we understand from the garden, it starts in the garden, the book of Revelation. Where do we end? In the garden. We all agree? We see the tree of life to the tree of life. We see the work. And what's the purpose of creation. Why has God created everything? Because he wants to be in relationship with us. What position did God give Adam? He gave him the highest position above the angels, just below him. You will have the ability to think. You will be able to make choices by yourself. If you love me, it's because you choose. Angels, he can just say, go here, do this, do that. They go and they do it. And that's it. It's done. But with mankind, his desire was to create uh, a, a people who would choose to love him, to walk in fellowship with him and experience the blessing of being united with the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe. Isn't that awesome? What a beautiful picture. But when they were kicked out of the garden, now it's like the land will be cursed. You know, you're going to have to work with the sweat of your brow. You know, uh, you're, the death has entered into you. You're not going to die right now, but you're not going to get over that thousand years. You're going to die before that end. And that's what we see happen to Adam. He doesn't get past that thousand years. But what we see is you are going to die. You no longer got eternal life. So what is God's plan for restoration? How is he going to restore all mankind? And we talk about this in the gospel because when you share your faith with others and, you know, I'm on a mission trip right now to share faith with those on the streets and everywhere I go to minister. So this is very much on my heart, uh, what I'm sharing right now. When we're sharing faith, we, we want to say this is the, the, the reason for the gospel. And we always start at Yeshua. He's the reason for the gospel. You know, but I, I don't know about you, but in my early days of my faith walk, I always asked theologians and pastors, why did God wait so long from the fall of man all the way to Yeshua? You ever thought uh, when you read the Bible, if I was God, I would do it like, <laughs> you ever think that when you read the Bible? Why'd you wait, you know, why'd you wait so long, you know? If I was God, I would have brought the plan earlier. And you start thinking like this, but here's the reality. In Genesis chapter 12, God creates the plan of restoration of all things through a man called Abram. And I remember when I got saved at a Scripture Union holiday camp when I was in rebellion against God. I hated God. I classed myself as a complete atheist. And they're all singing this song, Father Abraham, how many sons, how many sons has Father Abraham? And I'm one of them and so are you, so let's praise the Lord. And that song, if you know it, it goes on and on and on for like half an hour. You know, right arm, left arm, you know ear, all that. Oh man, they just go, go, go. It's like, how many sons does Father Abraham have, you know? But this is the key to the gospel. God says the gospel that was preached to Abraham 
is the same gospel that Yeshua brought. He understood. He looked forward to the gospel. We even see in the book of Job, we see the Redeemer, that the Redeemer is coming. Even Job had the gospel preached to him. So we see the strands. Is the gospel we preach today the same gospel that Abraham received? And that's something we're going to look at because it's vitally important. So Abram, what am I going to do for you? I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I love that covenant. I don't know about you, but if I was ever, you know, to write you out a check for one million trillion dollars, that's what Abraham was given in his equivalent day. Here's a check for one million trillion, but here's the snag. You can't cash it for four generations. (laughs) This is my promise. This is my blessing, but you can't walk in the fullness of this. It's for four generations. Why? Because God has a plan of restoration and salvation for the whole world. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we know how much God loves the world. So through Abraham, he says, I'm going to take your children and I'm going to put them into the deepest and darkest place that is available on earth under Pharaoh. Pharaoh had how many gods? He had so many gods. Uh, You know, (laughs) we don't need to name how many gods. You know, other religions have millions of gods as well. He had so many gods. And who was he? Pharaoh was the ultimate god. I am the highest ranking god of all the other gods. That's who he was. And this was the environment of the camp of Satan. Adam gave up the right to this earth and the position of man. He gave it to Satan, Hasatan, as we call it in Hebrew. And what took place? He ruled the earth with the authority that was given to Adam. So God's plan was to bring restoration. So how was he going to bring restoration? He was going to bring restoration by doing a very powerful thing at Mount Sinai. He was going to marry Israel. Why would he marry Israel? Because there was no other office that he could give to mankind by which they could be saved. So the only way he could restore mankind was to conduct a marriage ceremony that we see at Mount Sinai. That's why they said three days, prepare yourself, white garments. If you read from Exodus chapter 19, you will see the proposal. Ask the people, will you obey me? Will you marry me? This is what the the language that's going on. And Moses goes back and talks to the people. He comes back and they say, yes, we will. Even though they never got the conditions of the marriage they said yes we will do it and when the marriage ceremony takes place God is speaking the commandments out over the people and I love what it says it says that it waxed louder and louder and the people rejected what was taking place and they said stop we can't take it just Moses you deal with God and you tell us what he says Why? Because they're recognizing their sin. They're recognizing who they are. But what they didn't realize that they were walking into a place to walk into the fullness of God, to the office that he had created for them for the restoration of all mankind. And it wasn't just so Israel could be saved. 
because at the foot of Mount Sinai, you had the representation of the nations, and they were grafted in to the house of Israel right there, because there was many that came out of Egypt, and I believe that it represented all the tribes and the people of the earth. They came out with the Israelites to Mount Sinai, and God was making a statement. He's saying this, I am going to marry you. That's the only office I can give. And what does he do? He goes into a marriage covenant. And I'll explain where we see that covenant in a second. They take the, the, the bull is, is slain. They drip the hyssop. They put the hyssop into the blood and they sprinkle it on the people. And some people say, well, they just sprinkled it on the 12 pillars. And there's a bit of a debate up there. Did it, was it a sprinkle on the 12 pillars or was it a sprinkle on the people? You know, I think it's a sprinkle on the people. I believe he entered them all into covenants with him. They were in a marriage covenant. So when the event of the golden calf took place, Moses, where is he? He's up receiving the commandments. This is what we call in Hebrew the ketubah. And if you do research on Google, go online and look at the, the ketubah. The conditions of the marriage, the Ten Commandments as the condition of the marriage. You'll be amazed at some of the information that you can see on there. So the commandments are not, thou shall not, thou shall not. This, this is your contract. If you walk in my ways, this is how you can be in fellowship with me. If you keep these things, you can come into my presence. So the event of the golden calf happened. Uh, Joshua, he's halfway up the hill. Moses is coming down. He's like, Moshe, you know, we're all having a party down there. <laughs> and they're not having a party uh, in the right way. Moses comes down and what does he do? He smashes the commandments. He can't believe what has taken place. And, you know, we're going to read Ephesians, but I want to get this foundation so we go to Ephesians. <laughs> I don't know about you, but we can be here, you know, like, you know, when we read about uh, Paul preaching and the guy falls off the window, you know, and, and they have to get raised from the dead, you know, we'll see how we get on here tonight. <laughs> but, you know, this is, this is important. If you catch this word, it will be life-changing because right now, like I said, people are waking up all over the world with the true gospel of the kingdom, and it's vitally important we get this. So, anyway, they're sprinkled. They're part of the covenant. Then God says to, to Moses, step aside. I will kill them all, and I'll start with you. And this is where the death penalty entered. The death penalty, Yeshua, he died for our sins. Why? We're under a death penalty. This is the death penalty that took place. Step aside, I'll kill them all. And Moshe is like, are you crazy? Start with me. You know, how old am I at this stage? 80, early 80s. He's like, the last thing I want is you to start with me. And what does he say? God, you're just going to have to work it out. Because your <laughs> reputation's on the line. You wipe all these people out. Your reputation's on the line. What will all the nations think? What type of God is that? Brings them out, destroys Pharaoh, <coughs> destroys all the Egyptian army. They come out, uh, you know, and that, that's the picture of the gospel. We pass over the coming out, uh, the requirement of the firstborn, representing the firstborn of, of Yehovah. Yeshua will be the firstborn sacrifice to set us free because we all deserve death, the death, pe the death penalty. And I'm bringing you out. When you go through the Red Sea, it's the baptism. It's the immersion. You go from death to life. When you're in the wilderness, it's identification. Now you are saved. 
Are you going to be discipled in the presence of Yahovah? Are you going to walk in the ways of God? Because if you walk in doubt and unbelief, why should God give you the promises of the covenant? Oh, I made a commitment, I'm saved, I'm walking, I've got God in my heart, but now I'm not choosing you. I just said yes to Jesus, or I, I just put my hand up, but you're not experiencing the living reality of God. You're not choosing to walk in His ways. You're walking in rebellion. This is what God says. You will not enter my land. That generation will be cut off. And I will bring up the next generation, and they will enter that land. And you know, if God can lay down a whole generation of Israel, his chosen people. You know, we read Romans chapter 11, where it talks about how we see ourselves today and how we see Israel or, uh, you know, are we, are we going to uh, say, well, huh, why can't they get this? We've got this revelation. Why haven't they got this revelation? That mentality, God says, don't stand in the place of pride because, you know, they need salvation just the same way you need salvation. You didn't deserve it. It was the gift that came from him. It was by grace you have been saved. What a beautiful picture we see there. So we see this event that takes place. We see the restoration, the new commandments are given. And it talks about uh, the, uh, the renewing of the covenants. And God comes back into marriage and he, set, he goes from the... Uh, the, the order of Melchizedek to the order, the Levitical order. And this is something you might want to write a little side note on to do a study on. The order of Melchizedek was the order that God was putting in place before the Levitical order. So when you see everything about the priests, some of your uh, uh, Bible scholars, they say, well, you know, it's saying this here, but really this should be here. No. Look at it within the order of, of the book of Exodus, and you will see it's the order of Melchizedek. The priestly order that was being applied was the order of Melchizedek. And it was changed to the order of Levitical order to protect and to, to show that we need salvation. Why? Because the sacrifices and the things they did, they weren't uh, to take away your sins. It was basically uh, a temporary measure until the one would come who would take away our sins permanently. And these are important. But after the golden calf, 3,000 people were killed. And don't we see that picture at Pentecost at Shavuot that we're coming to in, in these number of weeks ahead? It's Shavuot. When Peter preached, 3,000 were adding. And what was taking place? This is the new covenant is being established. And what was lost, what was taken away right there in the book of Exodus is being added back. Hallelujah. It really is amazing when we see that. So we recognize a marriage took place. There's a couple of points I want us to uh, go to because you can't read the book of Ephesians unless you know this and truly understand it from this concept. Because, uh, you know, we deal with uh, one new man and different things like that, and we're going to press into those things. So what we see is we see a marriage covenant take place. If you go to the book of Jeremiah chapter 3, you see that God gives Israel a bill of divorce. Now, there's a couple of key things I want you to uh, also take note of. Well, there's probably like 150,000 of them, but let's just start with a couple. Every time you see the word Jew and Judah, 
and house of Judah, it's for the house of Judah and for the Jew. <laughs> That's what it's for. It's what it says. But you also see the house of Israel and the house of Ephraim. And in today's culture within Mercianic Judaism today, or Mercianic believers in the land and also in America and other places, they take the word Israel, like the book of Hosea, and Hosea was not a prophet to the southern kingdom. He was a prophet to Israel, the northern kingdom. You who are not a people will once again become a people. There was a divorce that took place. And what do we see? A beautiful picture where we see God's going to marry you. You're like, wow, you know, go marry a prostitute. What? <laughs> this is against anything you could imagine. This is what the prophet was told. And the, the story we see in the book of Hosea is to the house of Israel. In the Mercianic world today, and even in a lot of Christian teaching concerning Israel and the Jews today, they take these two things, Judah and Ephraim and the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and they make them one, and they say, listen, as Christians, if we're going to see the return of Messiah, we have to get the Jews back to Israel because we know theologically, if Israel doesn't return to the land, the Messiah cannot come. Everybody knows that. There's no disagreement with that. We know. And from the 90s, I was working on different projects, bringing Russian, Ukrainian Jews back to the land. And I was told from my Christian theology that the reason we do this, we want the Jews to be back in the land so that those dry bones will come to life and God's going to uh, you know, put flesh on them and he's going to breathe his spirit into them and they will rise up as a vast army. And it's a powerful story. But what does it say? It says in Ezekiel chapter 37, this is the whole house of Israel. It does not say this is Judah. It says the whole house of Israel. And it also says in Ezekiel 37, it's one of the key scriptures for our ministry. It says, when I bring Israel back to the land, they will never again be divided. Who's going to be divided? The southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. They will never again be divided. And they will, they will never lose the land. They will be established in the land. And nothing will divide them, nothing will separate them from that land. We see that in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. So we see the divorce that takes place in Jeremiah chapter 3. But we also see that Judah did the same sins as Israel. So what happened when Israel sinned? He said, I'm divorcing, I'll give you a bill of divorce. And he he gives them a great message, and a few times he, he asks them, you know, come back to me. But in their rebellion, they don't come back. And what happens in 722 BC, the Assyrians come in, and they expel the northern kingdom from the land of Israel. They set up all their own idols, the human sacrifices. They change the date for the Feast of Tabernacles, just like the Catholics changed the Sabbath to the Sunday. They changed things and said, we're going to do it our way. This is how we're going to do it. And listen, we can praise Yahovah any day, all day. But it doesn't mean that we take away from what the commandments state. So the Assyrians came in and expelled them from the land. From what land? from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And we read this in Matthew chapter 4. You will see that Yeshua, he left uh, Nazareth and he went to Capernaum. 
Kafarnachum, and when you guys get to Israel, you'll get to go there, and they call it the city of Yeshua, the city of Jesus, um, the town of, of Jesus. You know, it's amazing to, to go there even today. But he left and he said, and, and Matthew chapter 4, it says, this is done to fulfill prophecy, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So what happened in that land? A light has come to the Gentiles. Well, you know, if I was God, remember we talked about that? If I was God, I would have deliverance like before Jesus from the fall of man. How many years is that? 3,000 or whatever, or three, yeah, 3,000? 4,000. 4,000 years. Man, that's a long time, isn't it? That's like crazy. Here's another thing that, that we see here. We see that uh, the Assyrians, they expel Israel from the, la from, the uh, from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. You know, if I was the father, I would have sent Yeshua to Jerusalem. And we would have stayed on First, first Street. I'm going to put the Messiah on First Street in Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, like Washington, D.C., numbers of streets. First Street, Penthouse 101, you know, 777. Yeah, Penthouse 777, overlooking the temple. That, that's where the Messiah needs to go. That's where Yeshua should be brought up. But that's not the case, is it? He was taken to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, to the very place where the northern kingdom was expelled. And what was his message? He said this, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. So there's John the Baptist. What does he come? The kingdom of God's at hand. The kingdom of God is near. You know, the gospel that we need to understand is the gospel of the kingdom. And it, this is what we need to preach. We have people preaching the gospel of salvation, but are we preaching the gospel of the kingdom? Why have we got this separation? So like I said, we see a separation between Judah and Israel, and we have a form of replacement theology, even in Christianity. Christianity and end-time prophets within Christianity. You read all of your books on Revelation. You watch your TV shows on, on those who know all the Bible and they tell you about the end times. What did they tell you? You know, we are so close to the end. You know, World War III is coming. You know, what if Russia is going to start firing nuclear weapons? What day are we living in? We've got to get the Jews home and it's going to fulfill prophecy. But like I said, even the Christian theologians, even the Messianic believers, today, they all agree on one thing, that when you read in your Bible Israel, it's about the Jews. When you read about Judah, it's about the Jews. So they're just taking it all. And the question is this, do they have that right? Do they have that right? When I went through the scriptures on these points, I found hundreds of references where God clearly talks about the house of Judah and the house of Israel. One of them is in Jeremiah chapter 31. What do we see in Jeremiah 31? We see the new covenant. And in that covenant, it says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel. So even within the covenant that we see repeated again, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, where it talks about the covenant. This is the covenant of our salvation. It is... I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is what we are being saved unto. So the question is this, where is our covenant in the Bible for our salvation? And I enjoy asking uh, pastors and leaders this question, where's our covenant? You know, uh, can we be a Gentile believer 
And we're going to mention a few points within Ephesians, and we're getting there. Everyone got their finger in Ephesians? Yeah. We are going to Ephesians, hallelujah. We are going to Ephesians. But when you, uh, what was I going to say? Now I got so excited about getting to Ephesians. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about, um, what am I talking about? Where am I going here? The covenant, right? Identifying how are we saved? Do we all agree there is no covenant in the Bible for the Gentiles? There's not one covenant in the Bible for Gentiles. Not one. Yeshua said this, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What did he say to the Gentile woman that just asked for healing for her daughter? You know, well, even the Gentiles can get the crumbs, you know, from the table. You know? What was, she, what was he saying? Why was he so focused on this? Because in the restoration of the kingdom, it concerns all the nations of the world. It doesn't just concern the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And we have to understand this before you can understand Ephesians. So we see in Ezekiel chapter 37 as well a key point. When the prophet is being asked to take a stick and write on it to the tribe of Judah, uh, to the house of Judah, sorry. And then here's an interesting fact that, that, that is then in the scripture. It says, and to the Israelites associated to them. What do you think that means? And the Israelites associated to them. That means that they are known as Israelites, but they are not natural born from the southern kingdom. And then he says, take in your hand and write the house of Ephraim. And on that, he also says, Ephraim and the Israelites associated with them. So they are people who are not of the ten tribes, but they are associated with Ephraim, and they are joined together. This is amazing when we start to see how this opens up, and I encourage you to press in uh, to understand these elements in a greater measure, because they really are powerful. But when we understand those things, we'll understand the mystery that Paul is speaking about. And it's the gospel of the kingdom that he is talking about. So guess what? All of that being said, we're arriving at the book of Ephesians. Did I get a hallelujah or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where we wanted to get to. I told you we're not going to go all night, but we, I definitely want to get to a place where we understand what the Holy Spirit is saying. So we open up the book of Ephesians, and this book What's so powerful about this? You know, you've got some people want to get Paul out of the Bible. Oh, you know, Paul's got a different gospel to Yeshua. When you study the book of Ephesians, you see the plumb line that Paul is preaching is the exact same gospel that Yeshua walked in. There is no difference. But you have to be able to uh, stitch everything together. We understand from the beginning of Ephesians that we are chosen, that we are sealed, that we've been blessed where? You've not been blessed. You're blessed in the heavenly realm. Why? No thief can steal it. No one can rob from you. You are chosen. You are set apart for him, uh, you know, before the creation of the world. Man, these are incredible things that we see. It talks about that we are predestined to be adopted as his sons. And just because we see this predestination, you know, I don't hold to the Calvinistic view if it's predestination, you know, well, you know, God knew before creation if you were going to make a decision for Yeshua or not. Do we believe that God loved the world so much? He is going to do a judgment day for every man. And you know what he's going to ask them? What did you do concerning my son? Did you receive him? Uh, how did you live your life? 
And how could he, if he predestined before the foundation of the earth, how could he operate with integrity? And ask him this question, you had the opportunity to receive me, but you rejected me. And I'm going to judge you for that. And if it's predestination, they could turn around and say, man, I've got like a get out of jail free card here, a monopoly. You know, this is, this is not fair. I'm, I'm going to try and find some other judge here, you know. No, we all have the choice. Will we believe in God? Will we walk with God? Will we walk in his ways? So like I said, we're getting to the gospel in Ephesians. There's one other point that we need to bring up. There's a word within your Bible. I want you to put a line through and change it back to what it should be. And it's a word called church. In your New Testament, you see the word church. Well, guess what? That is not the translation of ecclesia. The word ecclesia translates to the word assembly. Jesus, Yeshua, when he came, he didn't come to bring a new religion. You ever heard that? You know, come to Yeshua. He didn't come to bring a new religion. It's about what? Relationship. Relationship. That's what it's about. I'm not bringing a new religion. So, you know, usually when I meet with people, I ask them this question uh, with leaders. I say, I want to ask you a question. When was the church born? And why is it they all have an answer? And a lot of them, Peter, when he, when he had the revelation, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the Most High God. He, hallelujah. Upon this rock I will build my... No, we changed the word. What's the new word? Ecclesia. See, it's not the new word. What's the real word? It's the ecclesia. Why? Because if you have the word church within your Bible, you have a disconnect to the gospel of the kingdom. You can't read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation if you have the word church. Because your theology cannot work concerning the end times. Your theology can't work concerning your identity. It doesn't work. But when you have the word ecclesia, the assembly, and we see this in the book of Ephesians, you'll see the word church over and over. And I want you to take note of this and say it's the assembly. Now, when I was taught theologically, one of the things we used to look at we used to look at, when you read something in the Bible, you go back to first mentions. Anyone heard of that? Go back to where it's first mentioned. And what do you want to do in first mention? You want to follow it through and see the thread of where that message is going. Well, guess where first mentions takes you concerning Ecclesia? It takes you to Mount Sinai. It takes you to the foot of Mount Sinai, and there is the assembly of the people, first mentions. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So what happened there? Remember Father Abraham, how many sons? <laughs> the gospel that was given to Abraham has to be the gospel that's given to us today. And how do I know that? Because, did I say we're going to Ephesians tonight? Did I mention that to anyone? We are going to get to Ephesians at some point. You know, there's just a few things we have to understand before we get to Ephesians, yeah? I've got so many bits of paper in my Bible here. But we're going to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, uh, if someone can just look that up, Hebrews chapter 11. Let's see if I can get my glasses on. Turn, turn to it because I want you to see this. Hebrews 11 and it's verse 39. And this is what it says. And I want you to see this with your own eyes. <clears throat> This is a chapter about the patriarchs of the faith walking um, in the promise of God that was given to them according to the covenants. And of course, Abraham, guess what? He's living in the land and he never makes 
a dwelling for himself. He lives in a tent, so does the next two generations, because they are looking for something, a kingdom, a city that is not made by man. Isn't that interesting? But this last couple of verses here in 39, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them, not one of them, received what had been promised. Elohim, God, had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, isn't that interesting? Because many people say, you know, we're under the new covenant, not the old covenant. Now we have this picture in the new covenant, and I call it the Messianic writings, Matthew to Revelation. I don't call it the New Testament. I call it the Messianic writings because the reason we call it the new Testament, Barat Hadashah in Hebrew, it means the new covenant, the testament of the covenant. Well, that's actually in the, the Old Testament. That's where we get it from, Jeremiah chapter 31. So I call it the Messianic writings from Matthew to Revelation. And when we read from Matthew to Revelation, we are seeing our eyes being opened to what the Old Testament, not the Old Testament, the Tanakh, <laughs> the scriptures are really teaching us. You know, when Peter talked about uh, that the scriptures are God-breathed, you know, and how important they are. When he was making that statement, there was no New Testament. These are the scriptures. So Matthew to Revelation, yes, they are the word of Yehovah. I 100% agree with that because they come into alignment with the Tanakh, the whole of what we call the Old Testament. So we see right here that their promise, their blessing is in line with our blessing and it's going to be together. So one point before we move into Ephesians. I did mention we're going to Ephesians, didn't I? <laughs> one point. I talked about end time prophets. I talked about, you know, what time is it? We're at the end of the world. Get ready. The money crash is coming. Anyone heard the money crash is coming? Anyone heard that for like 40 years? You know, oh, years after year. You know, I remember back in the, the 80s, I used to listen to Barry Smith from, uh, it was at New Zealand. And, you know, he was talking about end time prophecy, get ready, you know, uh, you know, America's going to crash, the money system's going to be gone. And then you get up to the year, two, well, the 90s, getting ready for the year 2000. Even Billy Graham got involved and wrote a book called Storm Warnings. Why can the world not go past the year 2000? That's what his book was all about. I don't know how many editions he did after that. I think you've got the second, third, and fourth, and the fifth edition, you know? Storm warnings, go look it up, get the first edition. It's the best one. You know, if you want to have, you know, an interesting thriller, go read the first edition of Billy Graham's Storm Warnings. What do we see? It is logically impossible for us to live past the year 2000 because there's not enough food, there's not enough war, the population will be so big we won't be able to survive, so Jesus is coming back. So you need to get saved. That was the message. But here's the reality. Yeshua, he cannot come back and say, hey guys, it's so good I'm back, but I'm sorry I didn't fulfill all these prophecies. Do we all agree? Yeah. Does, you know, is he the prophetic fulfillment of the word? It, my word will not come back void. It will accomplish that for which it has been sent. So he's not coming back to apologize. So the question is, do we have biblical order concerning the days in which we're living? Now, what I'm sharing with you tonight, I want you to ponder this and pray over it because I didn't come here to change your theology, change your doctrine. If we change the way we think, it's because of the work of the Spirit. 
What do we pray when we come to the Word? Teach me your ways that I may walk in them. That should be the reason why we come to the Scripture. If we come to the Scripture, you know, for our fix, you know, like a, you know, an addict. Come on, I've got my five-minute devotion. Come on, God, you can do it. Can you encourage me in five minutes so I can get out there and, uh, you know, serve you? You know, that, that's not what it's about. We go to the Word and we say, God, here we are. I want to be like you. I want to walk in your ways. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I want you, the manifestation of who you are, to be in and through my life to minister to this broken generation. So God has to fulfill prophecy. And when we look at prophecies concerning the return of Israel, here's another one to write down. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're not going to read it tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 30. What that portion of Scripture does, it clearly states, I will bring back the whole house of Israel, not just Judah. And the reality today, we are about to celebrate. What day is it? Tuesday? In two days, from tomorrow night, in Israel, we will be celebrating 74 years of the establishment of the nation of Israel. 74 years ago, the state of Israel was established. Now, I like to say this. I've got an Israeli driving license. You can see my driving license. I'm a citizen of Israel. It says the state of Israel. Now, if I'm part of the state of Virginia... What does it mean? That there's something bigger than the state. There's something else that's involved in this state. So what's bigger than the state of Israel? What is the state of Israel under? It is under the United Nations. So Israel is established as a state, not as a nation. And they use the scripture, can a nation be born in a day? And I like to say, when you go back and read that scripture, can a nation be born in a day? It doesn't say it's a prophecy. It's a question. Can a nation be born in a day? It's not a prophecy. We all know that every nation that establishes its foundational uh, documents or, or orders, or uh, I'm trying to think of the, like, the Constitution and everything that's put together, when that is signed, that's the day the nation is born. So every nation that is established is born in a day. So it says, can a nation be born in a day? It's not a prophecy. But modern Zionism, I am not a modern Zionist. And some people are like, what are you talking about? We're meant to be Zionists. I'm a biblical Zionist. I am looking for the order of the scripture concerning what's happening in the land. I've lived in the land of Israel for 11 years. I believe and I preach Yeshua the Messiah. Let me tell you something. There's only one thing you cannot be in the land of Israel and live a peaceful life. And that is a believer in Yeshua. Because the nation, the state of Israel, is anti-Messiah. From the highest level all the way to the bottom. I've even had the government level uh, uh, commit to give me resources for my media company in Israel. When they found out I followed Yeshua, they canceled the money. So you can be a Buddhist, you can be Hindu, you can be homosexual, you can be anything you like, and you're still Jewish, but you believe in Yeshua, the Messiah, whoa, you're going to get persecution. You know, that's not democracy. That's partial democracy. You know, and this is the message that needs to go out. So we should be biblical Zionists. So what are we waiting to see? We're waiting to see the establishment 
of what God is doing in the land. And why did I say that? Why is this important? And you might think, well, if you believe that, what are you doing living there? You, you should go up and leave. Why would you spend time there if it's not that important? Because the greatest revival of all time is about to happen in that parcel of land. That's how amazing our God is because the gospel will be ministered from the land of Israel to the outermost parts of the world. And what will happen in Israel? And I'm going to say a couple of things that when you hear this, your mind will not be able to contain this because the theologians of the past, every time you read in your footnotes of your Bible, anyone got footnotes in your Bible? Yeah, a few of you, most of you. When you read the footnotes of your Bible, you will see the term the millennial kingdom. Even if the chapter opens up and says these words, in the last days. Why do they write in the footnotes, it's millennial kingdom, if it says the last days? Now, the last days are not the millennial kingdom. And the reason why they throw it into the millennial kingdom is they don't understand. Oh, I don't understand it. Throw it in the millennial. You ever read something you think, I'll just put that in a folder over there until I can work that out. Well, that's what they were doing with the millennial kingdom. You know, we have some understanding from the millennial kingdom, but when you read Deuteronomy chapter 30 and you read through it, it's not millennial kingdom that these things are established because it says, I will come against those who curse you, those who attack you, I will protect you. So it's not millennial kingdom. Uh, so anyway, a little bit of side salad there on that point, but we're looking for biblical Zionism. And here's the point I want to get to. Uh, we've already established a marriage took place. Yep, you've all got that at Mount Sinai. A marriage took place. You must understand that if we're going to read the book of Ephesians. So anyway, let's go back to the book of Ephesians. Maybe we'll get into the book of Ephesians or we'll have to have a part two for the next five nights or something like that. <laughs> Anyway, we talk about being chosen, being predestined in him. We see the seal that is given to us, the deposit guaranteeing of our inheritance. We have an inheritance to the praise of his glory. We see that in chapter 1. Then chapter 2, what are we dealing with at the beginning? We're talking about it's by grace you've been saved in verse 5. And please take time. Uh, it's not a big book, Ephesians. Don't just read it once. Just commit like to a whole week. You know, you know, if you're driving, this is what I did. Today, I'm driving. I listened to the book of Ephesians for six hours today. That's all I was doing. The book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. You know, meditate on the word, receive it. Father, what are you saying to me? And what do we see here? We see where we are seated. We are seated with Messiah in the heavenly places. So what's happening? Uh, we're, we're recognizing that we don't deserve salvation, that we don't deserve this. We were dead in our transgressions. We're dead in our sins. And here the Father is making a, a way for us to be saved. And Paul is speaking to the believers in Ephesians, right? And, you know, verse 8 again, for it is by grace you have been saved. This is in chapter 2. Through faith, and it's not from yourselves, it's a gift from Elohim not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanships. Oh, I love that. I, man, how many cards have you seen? For we are God's workmanships created in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing statement that's made. But when we look at it within its context, it's amazing. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Yeshua to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, 
<laughs> so who's he speaking to? He's saying to you people who are listening, I'm speaking to the believers in Ephesus, right? This is who he's speaking to. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, and here's a point when you're going through the book of Ephesians. I want you to look at how Paul identifies with the Gentiles. I know I'm giving you lots of homework, right? If you want to get this, it takes a lot of time to go through these things. I'm trying to uh, put a plumb line down to make you hungry for more of what is being said here. You who are Gentiles by birth. Now, what does it mean, Gentiles? You of the nations. You know, even Abram at the beginning, he was goy, is, is the word. It, goyim, he was a Gentile, okay? So what does it mean to be a Gentile? It means without covenant. You don't have a covenant with me. You are of the nations. That's why you cannot be a Gentile Christian. Don't let anyone call you a Gentile. Why? You are born again, spirit-filled, washed with the blood of Yeshua. You cannot be a Gentile Christian because there is no covenant in the Bible for a Gentile. Hallelujah. So uh, you who are, uh, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done with the body and by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separated from Messiah, excluded from what? Citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Very interesting words that are spoken here uh, and very deep in what's been said. But what we understand, we understand that there is a citizenship that belongs to us, that we are citizens. Father Abraham, many sons. <laughs> but, you know, also if you read the book of Romans, what do we see? You know, it's not about your circumcision that makes you a Jew. You know, it's about the circumcision of the heart. And that's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30. There is more about the circumcision of the heart in the Torah than there is in the New Testament. And some people say, well, you know, it's the circumcision of the flesh in the Old Testament. The New Testament's about the circumcision of the heart. Well, that's the, the new covenant is about the circumcision of the heart. Hallelujah. Which is in the Torah and in the, the Old Testament. So it says, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Yeshua, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Messiah. And this is powerful what he's saying here. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace <clears throat> who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Oh, hallelujah, stop there. So that means he abolished in his flesh the law. Are we reading what it says here? He abolished in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulation. Now it's interesting, it doesn't say all the laws of God. It doesn't say all the commandments of God. It says the law with its commandments and regulations. So it's talking about something individually. Why? Because Paul is not saying do not murder is done away with here. 
He's not saying that. He can't contradict the word. How many times, this is a good study to do, how many times does Paul in Scripture endorse the Torah and the keeping of the law? If you read the book of Acts, the last third of the book of Acts is, is Paul being challenged, are you keeping the law or not? That's what happens in the last third of the book of Acts. And he confirms time and time again, I'm keeping the law, I'm keeping the law, I'm keeping the law. What are we told today? Oh, you're not under law, you're under grace. But what they don't understand is they don't understand what is being said because we're using a Western men, uh, understanding. We're using the Greek mindset. We're not understanding what the Scripture says because Yeshua can't do away with the Father's commands. He, oh, I'm here now. It's all right. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to do away with all of the Father's commands and you're going to have my commands now. Well, didn't he say, I and the Father are one? So he has to be in, he has to be in uh, synergy with the commandments of Yahovah. And what does he do? He does exactly what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18. There's one coming like me, and you must listen to him. And what is the Messiah going to do, the one like Moses? He is going to open up the understanding of the law, the Torah. And what did Yeshua do? He came and he brought the spirit of the law. So if anyone's got a problem with the letter of the law, let's ask the question. You know, we're going to get back to Ephesians. Ask the question that says, is the letter of the law more difficult than the spirit of the law? Uh, if you hate, you commit murder. That's the spirit of the law. The letter of the law, if you murder, <laughs> you have to physically kill someone. If you look at a woman in an unworthy manner, you commit adultery. These things are different. So, you know, I'm just saying this to prove the point. The spirit of the law is harder to, to live by than the letter of the law. And both of them are not done away with because Yeshua says in Matthew 5, don't think I've come to do away with the law or the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. And oh, I see pastors jumping up with their get out of jail free card. He's fulfilled them. Hallelujah. Didn't he say on the cross, it is finished? <laughs> He's fulfilled the law. But here's the problem. The word fulfill means to bring to its fullness. It's fullness of understanding, because then he goes on and says, <laughs> he, he, Matthew chapter 5, read it. We're going to get back to Ephesians. But anyway, that, that's just a side salad there. You know, it's like having a meal with all these different plates going out, you know. So what do we see here? We see in verse 15 of Ephesians 2, we're seeing that there, uh, Ephesians 14 and 15, it says, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, and abolished in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. <clears throat> his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. And what I want you to see in this point is when we look at Ezekiel chapter 37, we see two parties that are divided with hostility. Now, some theologians say this is talking about the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. And, you know, there is no historical document of anyone in the court of the Gentiles revolting against the Jews saying, let us in. 
I need to be in the court of the Jews, even though I'm uncircumcised. There was never any hostility between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. And another thing, when Yeshua died and the curtain was torn, it wasn't torn between the curtain of the Gentile and the Jew. It was torn to the Holy of Holies. And what was God saying? I'm calling you in. And I like to say it this way. He's coming out. <laughs> He's going to dwell within us. It's not going to be a house made of stones. We are going to be living stones filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So what we see here is there's hostility between the two. We know there's hostility between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom because that's what we see uh, all through the Old Testament from the book of Kings and the separation of the two kingdoms. The northern kingdom came up wanted to fight and destroy the southern kingdom. We'll just go beat them up. The Assyrians went to destroy the southern kingdom and was stopped. But guess what? In Jeremiah chapter 3, God said, Judah, you did the same acts as Israel. And you've come back in pretense. Why did God not divorce from Judah if he divorced from Israel? Because the Messiah had to come through the line of Judah. And if someone today has a partner that's involved in adultery, they have a choice to make. Do I stay with you or do I leave? You're in covenant. You can choose to leave, but you can also choose to walk in mercy. And you can choose to build and restore that relationship. That's the choice of the one who has not sinned, who has not broken the covenant. What an interesting part of the covenant we have. So the hostility we see here and what we see here on the one new man, I used to go to these uh, uh, Shabbat meetings and they'd pick up two loaves of bread and halas. I'm sure you've seen it. We call it hala here. I can't say that in Israel because that means sick. Hola. <laughs> we call it hala, which, which means the, the bread. You pick the two loaves up, they pick the two loaves up and they say, this represents Israel and this represents the church and we're bringing the two together as one. Here's the problem with that message. What does Israel and 65,000 denominations have in common? That sounds to me like cancer, not unity. <laughs> because everything we see in the book of Ephesians, everything that is part of the foundation of the gospel of the kingdom is bringing us to the place of maturity, perfection in our understanding, the understanding of the gospel, to walk in the gospel, to experience the fullness of everything Yeshua has. So the importance of what we see here is that because of the work of Yeshua, he has accomplished everything that he said when he walked in the Galilee. He said, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what did he do before he died? He wept over Jerusalem. And I've got one question I want to ask, and we've got a couple of points we're going to bring up, and then we're going to close. I always like to say that, because a first close is always good, but now I'm looking, at, I'm looking at the time. You know, I appreciate your patience as we go through this. I'm trying to get a lot of these things out to help understand the bigger picture here. What was I going to say now? Where was I? <laughs> yeah, uh, what we have to understand is we have to understand through the work of Yeshua what Jesus did. Here's the key point we have to understand. Who were the first people to become born again? Who were they? The first people. Who were the disciples? What were they? Were they Jews? Oh, yeah, they were Jews. So they weren't yeah. Gentiles of the nations. Right, right. So the early believers, <laughs> you were thinking a, a trick question. The early believers all the way to Cornelius, which is 15 years after the resurrection of Messiah. 
Wow! <laughs> the Catholics call it three and a half years, but according to historical documents, it's more closer to 15 years. They were Jewish people. Now here's the question. Who married Israel at Mount Sinai if the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms are all about Yeshua? If Moses says this in, I think it's Exodus 33, he sees the, he's, he's talking to the father. He says, show me your face. And he says this, you cannot see my face and live. But yet he was the one who met face to face with Yudhe Who did he meet with? When he entered into that court and met face to face, when he went up to the commandments, when the 70 elders had the wedding supper meal with Joshua, Aaron, his two sons, and, uh, yeah, uh, and Moses, and the 70 elders, they all had a meal with someone. Who did they have a meal with? Yeshua. Who married Israel at Mount Sinai? Yeshua. So why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because it's all about marriage. Why is it? Let the bride say, come. Let the bride of the Lord say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Why do we see that? What is it about this bride? If you have the church in Israel, this is the theology of Christianity. Israel married God, the Father, and the church marries Jesus, Yeshua. That's the two covenants. That's what I was taught growing up. That's what many people are taught today. But here's the reality. If Yeshua is marrying is, is, uh, Jewish people, then he's marrying the Father's bride. So that can't be true because it says in the Torah, the son can't marry the Father's bride. So he can't break Torah. If he breaks Torah, he's not the Messiah. But if Yeshua married Israel at Mount Sinai, the reason he came to die is so he could fulfill the book of Hosea. And he says, I'm going to, Beulah, I'm going to marry you. And we see it in Isaiah as well. I'm going to marry you. You will be married to me. You who were divorced. Even the angels couldn't understand this. They couldn't comprehend what was taking place. So when Messiah died, now where's my confirmation? Do you have a New Testament scripture to back this up? Yes, I do. Yeshua died so he could remarry Israel. That's why the new covenant that we are born again through is to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. If it was just to Israel, then that means the line of Judah wouldn't be broken. When I witness to the religious Jew, this is what I tell them. Hey, let me talk to you about, about the scriptures because you have no covenant with God. Now, wouldn't it make a difference if Christians going to Israel would tell the Jews, not, oh, you're God's chosen people. You're so beautiful. We love you. How can we bless you? They are never going to come to faith in Messiah if you have that message. Because we know today the Jewish people need to come to Messiah. They have to have salvation. There's only one gospel. But you go on the internet and you look at the statements of Christian and Messianic organizations. And you know what they're going to give you? They're going to give you the differences between a Messianic Jew who has Yeshua and a Gentile. And this is what they say. They are different. But the book of Ephesians says something different. And what's the title of this message? Proclaim the mystery of Christ. 
That's the title of this message. So look, there's so much, you know, like I could teach in hours on all this stuff, but I want to jump ahead. And you know, that's what some people say when they're finishing and they haven't got any more notes. Well, I haven't got any more notes to start. <laughs> but when we look at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3, you know, what type of things stand out to us in this chapter? I want to read from verse 1. For this reason I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In, re in, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it is now being revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This is incredible. He's basically saying this revelation was not made known. They couldn't see this in the Old Testament. And here's the sad fact. We are being preached today a message in darkness because they're not giving us the full truth. <coughs> We're being told this, if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. That is not what the Scripture says. It says, if you bless Abraham, you will be blessed. And, but the question is, who is Israel? What is our identity? You cannot be a Gentile Christian, so who are you? What's our identity? The only identity we have is Israel. And this is not replacement theology. This is not saying the church is Israel, because the gospel is not about a church. It's about the kingdom. And we see that there's a mystery that's revealed. He received this by revelation. Now, if we understand the revelation, you read the testimony of Paul, he goes down to what place? Where does he go for three years? Because the, the early believers are like, get rid of this guy, man. He's causing us all this trouble. He went to Mount Sinai, to the place of the covenant. And that's where Paul sat. And he, sat, and he said he had encounters on an ongoing basis with Yeshua the Messiah, and he revealed the revelation of the gospel to him. Where? At Mount Sinai. Isn't that amazing? At Mount Sinai? See, it, all the threads are coming together. So this, <laughs> this is incredible. And listen, I'm, I'm just touching on this stuff. There's so much depth to this. Um, in reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations. And here's the reality. It's not made known to man today, but it's time for us to proclaim from the rooftops the truth and the true gospel of the kingdom so that we can walk in the fullness of what God has for us. It was revealed by the Spirit of God's holy, uh, to um, uh, God's holy prophets, this mystery, verse, uh, was verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Underline that. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of what? One body and shares together in the promise of Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, I gave you homework. I know I've given you all a lot of homework. But I want to ask you to do this. I want you to go on and Google the differences between a Messianic Jewish believer and a Gentile believer. And every research I did and every site I went on, and these are all the teaching ministries that are teaching the church. Every one of them I looked up today, and I went to check this out. I thought, let's go check it out. Every one of them said that there is differences. 
But what did we read in this verse? There's no difference. The exact same that is for Israel is for the Gentiles. We are brought in together and we are members together of one body. Okay? And we share in the promise of Yeshua the Messiah. Now listen. I'm, go I'm going to give you some pointers of some scriptures because I want to close. I know it's half past eight and you guys are amazing. That's one and a half hours. You know, you don't normally get that in a fellowship to be able to share that much. But this is important stuff. I want you to put a note down of the following scriptures for reference to look up. I want you to read, if I can get this to work, Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Romans chapter 11, verse 25, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 to 52. If you're listening on the recording, you can go back, and if you're here and you haven't written it down, you can go and listen to this and write these down. Isn't it great having technology today, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. And they are just some references I want to give you that talk about the mystery of God being revealed. These are key elements of the gospel of the kingdom. If we don't have things together from Genesis to Revelation, we don't have the true gospel. And when we understand our identity, then you've got to ask yourself the question. When the Christian ministries and the Messianic Jews tell you that the feasts are theirs, because you read in the book of John, it says the feasts of the Jews were near. No, no, no. You go back to the original. It doesn't say the feast of the Jews. It says the feast of the Lord. So you go all the way back to Leviticus. And, you know, I was a good pig eating Christmas, celebrating Easter, you know, ham radical. You know, I had, you know, we we're involved in Easter and Christmas productions throughout the whole of Europe. And God's telling me this is pagan. This is not even in my Bible <laughs> because you were told you were a Gentile. It's OK. Have your shrimp, have your bacon, have your that. What happens if your identity is Israel? Oh, brother, you tell me the food laws are for today? Listen, that's another story we can get together. What are you all doing tomorrow? That's the next one. And we start dealing with that sheet that came down to Peter. When you read that through the eyes of what is actually written there, it will blow your mind. <laughs> you know, what, what is being said to what we are being taught today. So let's just round up the foundation of just opening up those few elements of the book of Ephesians. Read the whole book, because this is the gospel that, that Paul is, is, is speaking. He's putting the plumb line down in line with Yeshua, in line with Jesus. He's preaching the same gospel. One new man is not the church in Israel. Because what did we say? There is no church. It doesn't say church in there. But you'll see mentions in the book of Ephesians. They'll say the word, they'll, you'll see the word church. And every time you see it, close it out and put the word assembly. Ecclesia. Get it within order. And the context of how you read will be different. So I've said all this to say this. Yeshua died so he could remarry Israel. He's given an invitation to every tribe to every nation. He's saying, come unto me, all you who hunger and thirst.
take my yoke upon you. I'm not telling you to get connected with Judaism. Judaism is a false religion. I'm not telling you to get involved in Messianic Judaism. That's an oxymoron. What does that mean, Messianic Judaism? If Judaism is a false religion, why would we follow it? Don't follow the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're whitewashed tombs. They tell you to do things <laughs> that they don't live and they don't do. They add laws to the laws. So everywhere you see where it looks like Jesus is coming against the law, he's not coming against the law, he's coming against their law. And that's what the difference. You didn't wash your hands, you don't have to. It's for ceremonial cleaning, not for general use. So anyway, I just uh, I want to get that out there and, and we, we can open up and I, I can be here for questions. We'll put the video off. I appreciate everyone who is watching live right now. I hope you have received the word as we are sharing. If you have questions, you can email me, kenny at bulldozerfaith.com. You'll see my email in the, uh, the description, and we would love to hear from you. If you've got testimony from this message and you want to tell us what the Holy Spirit is saying to you as we're reading through this, I'd love to hear from you too. Okay, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to pray and then we're going to switch the video off and if there's any questions we can talk from there. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Father, that you are opening our eyes of understanding because we desire to know you more. We give you permission to teach us. I pray, Father, on everything I've spoken out here today that the body of Messiah will take these words and pray over them. I haven't come here today to change people's uh, uh, belief systems and doctrines. I've come to share testimony of what you have said to me, Father. And I pray that you confirm your word by your word so that the word is confirmed by the word. That's what we know what truth is. And Father, we want your truth. We want your truth to be established within our lives. I speak blessing over every house that is represented here today and for every house that is watching uh, through the social media platforms. I speak supernatural blessing over you as well in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you, Father.